for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in his gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. morning, Downtown Hope. Uh, my name is Colin. Uh, I've been here, I just was thinking about this today, six months um, serving as the uh, student director in the midst of this season. Um, and before we get into today's passage, our last uh, sermon from the book of Philippians and what a great series it has been, I just want to remind you that we have uh, an opportunity. Uh, there's, I wanted to remind you of uh, the goal that we've seen of seeing gospel transformation in Annapolis this year. We are desiring to see that in Annapolis, and we are inviting you uh, to join us by participating in what we are calling the art of Christmas. See, we're collecting uh, art supplies for Tyler Heights and West Annapolis and a lot of families that are in need this Christmas season. Some are still really desperately needing food, and now some have brought a request for Christmas gifts, worried about taking care of their kids. And so as a body, we ask you just to check the website. There's plenty of ways to do that. We have a, a wish list on Amazon that we would just ask you to uh, pray about giving and donating so that as a body, uh, we can really just bless this community. Um, but as we conclude our series in Philippians entitled Press On, uh, we are focusing specifically today, chapter 4, verses 10 to 13. So would you join me as I read these verses? Uh, let's do this together. It says this in verse 10, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Verse 11, I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. The title of our message today is Real Contentment. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we just... We, we, we give this time to you. Lord, I pray that you would set aside all the things that are distracting us right now, God. I pray that you would give us uh, hearts that are in tune, ears that can hear, eyes that can see, um, and just have your word come to life for us this morning, God, that you would empty me of myself, Lord, that we, I would just not get in the way of the message that you want to bring to the body this morning. We ask all these things in your name. Amen. If you couldn't tell from reading this passage, there is really one word that is centralized in these verses. And as we conclude this series, you and I can come to the conclusion that Paul is speaking directly about contentment. See, so right off the bat, I want to ask everybody that's tuning in right now, are you content with your life right now? Are you experiencing uh, a joy that can't be removed, that's not shaken? Are you at peace despite the chaos in our country? You see, many people, actually probably most people, um, consider contentment to be something that is ought to be or, or should be attained. And, and some think, in the words of John Bloom, that contentment uh, is quote-unquote like this fairy tale which is not found in the real world. And John goes on to say that you know what, they're, they're partly right, but they're actually very wrong. 
See, contentment really exists, and, it's, and, it's, it, and the source of contentment is the source of all the great fairy tales themselves. See, contentment, what we're talking about today, is really the deepest longing of the human heart. According to Philippians 4, contentment is this beautiful inward state of a never-ending joy, a never-ending peace, a never-ending strength that remains despite every circumstance. And if you go back into chapter 4 here, studying these past couple weeks, Paul tells us to rejoice in verse 4. So Paul has this constant stream of joy that is spreading throughout his life. He told, tells us to cast all of our fears and all of our anxieties on the Lord through prayer and petition and to trust him in the the peace of God will be given to us. This same peace is also playing a part in the contentment that Paul has found. And he says also in verse 13, he adds something. He adds strength. He says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. He says that he finds contentment. Part of his contentment is by accessing this strength. And contentment for Paul was experiencing this sweet inward blend of all of these things that are never-ending. It's a state, this inward state of joy and strength that remained despite being rich, poor, hungry, or full. See, this contentment that Paul is bringing about, it's this, it's this inward state that remains despite job loss. It's this, it's this inward state that remains, that's, that remains despite death, despite pandemic, despite presidential candidate or social tension. So, so here is this contentment, and I have to ask you, do you have it? See, this topic is important, first of all, because we are all looking for what Paul is talking about. See, especially in this season, I think we can all agree that we are longing for something. Uh, we're all trying to find a sense of normalcy, rest, peace. And to be honest with you, where you find your contentment in life matters. See, what you pursue in hopes to find peace, joy, strength, it reveals a lot about your heart. And see, we're all looking to be content in relationships. We all desire to love and to be loved. We, in this season of isolation specifically, we are trying to find something to fill this relational void. And let's just be honest, sometimes Zoom just does not cut it. We are looking for contentment and purpose in our life. We all desire clarity in regards to our career and our calling. And for some of us, our career has been wiped off the table. For some of us, our companies have lost people or, or, or they've let go of people. Now our job looks like three. We have no clear purpose and we are desiring it. You know, and sometimes the reality is, is that we all, in some degree or another, are looking for contentment for, we're looking for adequate resources to supply the needs that we have for our families. All of these things that we're talking about are natural desires of the human heart. We all long for these things, but the things that we end up finding contentment in can differ greatly. We also need to realize that our discontentment reveals our hearts. See, your search for contentment matters, and, and if you are discontent, in your search, it reveals something about our heart that we cannot ignore. So I want to play a game. It's called, You May Be Discontent If. This game, I'm going to just give you a couple, couple quotes here. You, and if these are true about you, you may just be discontent. If we are 
grumbling in any way about the present, you may be discontent. If we are bitter or angry about the, the past, the present, we may be discontent. See, if we're worrying about the future, we may be discontent. If we have sunk into a state of dark discouragement in this time, we may be discontent. And if we are sinning in an attempt to get rid of some pain, this is also a sign of being discontent. And, and let's be honest, the American culture, right, fosters, it, it fans the flame of what we are calling discontentment. And, and all the miseries and all the heartaches that come with it, what's interesting, though, is that discontentment has a connection to the 10th commandment. You see, when we are discontent, you know, we are actually in a place of coveting. And as I, as I studied this, this message, it was hard for me to pick apart what I should talk about because I think the Lord was saying, Colin, I don't even know if you can preach on this. And that's the reality of where I think a lot of us are. See, discontentment in our lives is evidence of, of a, a misplaced worship, is evidence of, of coveting something apart from the only adequate resource uh, discontentment is coveting what we do not have, longing for it, believing that if we have it, then we will be satisfied. And I really wonder how many of us in this season are trying to press on, but we're trying to press on from a place of discontentment. See, you see, 1 Timothy 6.6 tells us this, that godliness, when accompanied by contentment, is great gain. And I think there's a distinction here because what, what he's getting at is that godliness paired with discontentment like can contradict itself. You know, whether Christian or not, when you try and just do the right godly things from a place of discontentment, all that we're really doing is what the Bible says is like ringing a noisy gong, right? Contentment is fundamental in our ability to press on. It, it is what gets at the root heart issue of why we're even listening to this message in the first place. It is fundamental for, for us as a body because it determines our ability to reflect the image of Jesus to a hurting and dying world. We can't preach about our divine marriage with the creator when we lay with other spouses throughout the week. You see, something crucial to understand as we dive into this passage is that the battle for contentment is not a new one, right? Let's go back to creation. Like Adam and Eve, for example, they were given life with this intention for divine relationship, purpose, and resource. And Adam and Eve had a contentment in the Garden of Eden that Paul is describing. God created the world. He created everything in it, and they had all that they needed. Contentment, we can see, only really comes from adequate resources and just you know this is just a get, get ahead of the game here contentment only comes from our connection with the lord through jesus christ and so but going back to adam and eve they were created in the image of god to bear his image they were created to spread his image by procreation they were endowed with a holy status that allowed them to serve the creator and have direct access to god himself they were appointed to govern the earth and given this royal status so that they would be a representation and an image of God's rule. They had it all. They had everything they needed, and they were content. But just like in our lives, something 
Something slithered into the garden that changed everything. And you know how this story plays out, but I want to point out one thing specifically, that it was not so much the fruit on the tree, but it was, it was the reward of eating it that really enticed Eve to take this bite. See, Satan promised her that if she ate this, she would have her eyes opened and she would become like God. See, Eve thought she would be gaining a blessing by eating the fruit, but it turns out that she actually acquires a curse. In a short matter of time, in the beginning of humankind, Eve went from complete contentment to sheer discontentment. And this is where our discontentment comes from as well. See, I have to pause and ask us in this season as a body of believers, how many of us are constantly chasing after things right now that we think will bless us, but are actually cursing us? How many of us are trying to find relief in things that are actually just killing us? How many of us are on the brink of divorce in this season because we think we will be content if we just can find another spouse, if we can just start over again? How many of us are about to make a decision to do a, a, to even sleep with somebody physically outside of uh, our marriage or, or our relationships because we are so discontent with our loneliness, we're willing to give up and find it. We want to find contentment. How many parents out there right now are thinking about taking a new job that will be this huge pay increase, but at the expense of time with family and your spouse? You see, in the garden, Eve coveted the thought of being like God. She became discontent because she believed God was holding her back from experiencing true joy. Because Adam and Eve represented all of humanity from this point on, mankind had discontentment ingrained in their hearts. And like Eve, discontentment begins in us when we believe the lie of Satan that there is something better to be attained. See, I'm convinced that we, to some degree, have convinced ourselves in this culture that there really is something better than Jesus. There is something more to attain. I know a lot of us wouldn't verbalize that. But that's what our discontentment tells the people around us. When we pursue contentment outside of God himself, it doesn't matter how good we are. It doesn't matter how much we read our Bible or how often we can go to church. The world can tell that we have more than one marriage. See, I'm not trying to sound hypercritical because the truth is that we are all struggling with contentment right now. To the mom or the dad who's now working from home while stepping in as a teacher, as a guidance counselor, a coach, uh, to the person who is really bothered and distraught by the outcome of the election or the agenda of a certain political party, to the students who are overwhelmed, isolated, depressed, and full of anxiety, to those of you who hate masks and, for, and long for the day when you can throw it away, to all of us who are literally in a similar situation to Paul being on what feels like house arrest. If you are not content, if you are not experiencing the constant state of joy, peace, and strength, where or what are you trying to find contentment in right now? All I want to do today is help us see the tension that this passage brings about. And I want to help us understand how Paul found a contentment that gave him the ability to have a constant joy 
a beautiful inward state of peace and strength despite every circumstance, even prison. See, for the Christian and the people who don't believe in Jesus, you know, we need to all remember that we came into this world with nothing and we leave with nothing. And it's my prayer that we realize that we will never find this contentment in anything, anyone, or anywhere apart from Jesus himself. You can pursue minimalism, which is a great thing, but in our culture, it's like minimalism has been the source of trying to find contentment, whatever you desire, but Christ offers you the contentment that Paul's talking about here. So let me just give you some quick insights. In verses 10 to 13, Paul tells us that this secret of contentment, this secret that he has learned, implying that it is not known by many people. This secret was revealed in a variety of circumstances. He says that, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, Paul says, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And the first thing I want to point out is that Paul is not calling you and I to be content with the circumstance. See, we're not called to work through and always understand why certain things happen, and we're not called to be content with that. And we shouldn't be content necessarily with a circumstance that brings injustice, pain, death, or turmoil. But, but somebody needs to hear this one truth today. Maybe that's just all you take away. That's fine. Contentment. In your search for contentment, you need to remember it doesn't mean that you don't feel the pain of your suffering. In fact, in order to learn contentment, sometimes you have to feel the pain of your sufferings. So, but, call, but Paul calls us not, not to be content with the circumstance, but he calls us to be content in every circumstance. The secret Paul alludes to was not found in an actual circumstance itself, not when he acquired much or had very little, but it was learned throughout different ones. And too often, if you're like me, I pursue contentment like it's something to be attained. All too often, I pursue contentment by trying to change a circumstance, by trying to change a situation so that I can then eventually be content with it. But Paul is telling us that true contentment won't be found with the circumstance, but it can be found in whatever circumstance. And Paul told us in our passage that he learned to be content. And I know that sometimes this kind of catches us off guard, but this, you have to understand that this was a process for Paul. This took time. He didn't have contentment or attain it on the road to Damascus when he met Jesus for the first time. Instead, he had to experience circumstances in which he had everything a man could want in the world and circumstances when he had nothing of the sort. And he tells us that contentment was actually learned in both. And this is where a lot of us miss out, I think, on the contentment that Paul is describing. We know all sorts of truths about God. And we know that we are designed to have this relationship with him. But, but contentment doesn't come from the attaining of this knowledge, but really in the application of it. See, Paul had to learn and practice this when he was full and wealthy. And, and, and if you're pretty well off, I mean, you know, meaning like you, you have a decent income, you have a great amount, a decent amount of money, you got a nice house, great resources. You know, Paul, there, there's a lot of truth to the fact that we need to be careful in those states because the reality is, is there's a lot of things that are fighting for the throne of our heart when you have a lot. There's a lot more to find contentment in when 
uh, apart from Christ in those situations. And, and, and it's why scripture tells us it's really hard for the rich man to get to heaven. You have a lot of things that you can trust and find worldly temporary comfort in. And there are more things trying to slither into your heart, so to speak. Paul had to learn and practice this when he was hungry and poor, and this circumstance brings with it different challenges. Either way, if you're like me, too often I'm guilty of praying for contentment in, in hopes that I will attain this thing or acquire it. And, and, and without, you know, I pray and assume that it will be kind of like given to me like a gift. But what I realized, though, is, is, is when I prayed for something like contentment, for example, I would pray for patience, right? I didn't just all of a sudden acquire patience, right? So when I prayed for patience, instead what would happen is that I would actually receive an opportunity to be patient, See, God will provide us opportunities to learn the secret of contentment in our lives, but how many of us are going to miss these opportunities or turn to other things instead of him? See, if we could assume contentment is something to be attained physically, then we will constantly be reaching out, searching for this world, for this treasure. But for me, God has provided opportunities that have made me so discontent, so, so empty that I had no choice but to give up, throw my hands in the air, but I want to tell you that we don't have to hit rock bottom in order to experience the contentment that Paul is talking about. As we learn to be content in circumstance, it's crucial that we really just do three things here. The first thing that we need to do, if you are realizing that you are discontent, if you are realizing there's something that you feel like you're missing, um, I want you to first stop. I want you to first stop. When you recognize discontentment, I want you to stop what you're doing, whether that's grumbling and complaining, whether that's sulking or stomping, whether that's eyeing up your neighbor's car, whatever it is that's making you discontent, you have to stop. And the second thing you got to do is evaluate. See, evaluate what you're actually looking at. Is what you are desiring anything apart from God himself? See, in all of this, we need to be evaluating our desires because they are prone to, to being to, to perversion, right? They, they are not to be trusted, as Philippians 1.10 says, because uh, everything needs to be filtered through Scripture. And the last thing I want you to do after you stop and evaluate is to think. And this is the hard truth, that because what we ponder on, what we find, we think will, will provide contentment, what we think about is actually what we perceive. We're discontent because we've been meditating on the wrong things and become weighed down with frustration, anxiety, stress, and heartache. It's time for us as a body of Christ to pick up the easy yoke of delight in Jesus. And I want us, and I want to, this is, this happens by doing what Isaac reminded of last week from Philippians 4.8. It says, finally, brothers, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's, tr- whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any ec- any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. See, once we stop, evaluate, and think, we must understand that contentment, the contentment Paul talks about, and the deep longings of our heart can't be found on our own, in our career, in our kids, or anything in this world. See, Paul's beautiful, inward state of constant joy, peace, and strength that was remained despite the worst and best of circumstances it came when he, he find, found out that he, he couldn't find it in himself. He couldn't find it in this world. And, but interestingly enough, if you flip open to this verse in Philippians uh, chapter 4, you, you see this word contentment. If you were to pick it apart in its original context, the, the word contentment actually comes from two Greek words that 
we derive as the first word being auto and the second word being body. So Paul uses this passage and, and his definition of contentment, the word auto uh, really just kind of means autonomous. It's talking about self. And, and the second word body means sufficient, like kind of all-encompassing. But so to read verse 12 in context, with that mindset, we have auto body, putting together those two words, self-sufficient. If you were to read that in the context of what it was supposed to mean, it would sound like this, that I have found the secret to being self-sufficient. And I, and I read that, and I'm like, what in the world is he talking about? Can someone please tell me why in the world Paul would use this phrase? Why would he literally say that he's found the secret to being self-sufficient? It sounds like he's living in our world right now, in a world where we are constantly seeking contentment through self-help books, right? Books that tell us what we need to do to get better in a culture that pushes self-confidence, self-esteem, self-worth. It sounds as though he is confirming these things, but this word was used intentionally by Paul, and this is what makes Philippians 4.13 one of the most abused and one of the most powerful verses of today. Like a lot of religious people in Paul's day, I think many of us have found a sense of contentment in ourselves. We are proud of who we are, what we achieved, how we've picked ourselves up by our bootstraps, but I think we've been maybe led astray. Here's this, the kind of contentment, I want you to, to listen to this, the kind of contentment that the world is displaying about uh, self-confidence, self-esteem, self-worth is actually what the Bible would call conceit. And so it's really ironic that Paul would use this word in this passage. And, and it's easy to see how people could use this word for their own agenda. Uh, but, but, but this is really, really the heart of the matter. When we desire something, we strive to find contentment in something apart from God, not only are we coveting, but we're actually like Eve. We're believing that he isn't a good father he, is, he isn't as good of a father as he says he is. And we're saying that we actually know our needs more and we know how to get to them and attain them better than he does. See, discontentment and pursuit of a self-help exhibits a desire in all of us to be sovereign, which goes right back to the story of creation. And as a result, we actually commit adultery in our pursuit of something that will never satisfy. I could spend hours on how why how and why chapter, or verse 13 of chapter 4 is taken out of context, but in, instead, I'll just tell you what it means. First of all, it does not mean that you can win any football game you desire. Secondly, it does not mean that you can choose to do whatever you want and assume that God will just give you the strength to complete it. That's conceit. Verse 13 gives us the key, though, the secret to finding pure, never-ending joy peace and strength that doesn't change despite the circumstance. Paul found this secret to contentment when he learned that he can't do it. When he learned nothing of this world satisfies. When he learned that even godly ambition before Christ was filthy rags. See, the secret to contentment was not an external achievement, self-help, career success, financial stability, or possession. The secret to contentment was discovered in an internal position. Paul is telling us in his connection between verses 12 to 13 that contentment doesn't come from independence, but it comes from complete dependence. 
And as a body of believers in the midst of a terrible pandemic, we're going to be pushed to a place where we are going to respond either by grabbing and trying to attain contentment in a variety of different ways, or we're going to understand like Paul that true contentment comes from complete dependence. And as a body of believers, we're going to do one of two things. We're going to let our discontentment drive us to be more conceited, you know, discontenting self-help pursuits, or, or we're going to finally admit that we're completely and utterly dependent upon God. And as we stop, evaluate, and think, I encourage you to take those things that you find contentment in and, I, and take those things that you think you will make you content if you attain them and move them from the throne of your heart and cast them down to the altar. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world, heavenly citizenship. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. Listen to that again. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only arouse it to suggest the real thing. Contentment will come when we realize that everything in this life are pointers to the only one who satisfies. The well that never runs dry, the fountain of living water, our daily bread, that's what Paul was getting at when he wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6. He says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Church, downtown hope, anybody watching this, what is it that you think you need right now in order to find the contentment that Paul is talking about? What do you need to attain in order to find the joy and strength again? What do you think you need in order to be content in all circumstances, as Paul says? Today, God is asking all of us if we really believe 2 Corinthians 12.9 when it says that my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. This passage is challenging us if we really believe Philippians 4.19 that says God will meet all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. Do we really believe that Jesus is enough? And does our contentment display that to the world? If you know Jesus, you have a God who hears you, the power of love behind you, the Holy Spirit within you, and all of, head of, and all of heaven ahead of you. And if you have Jesus, you have grace for every sin, direction for every turn, a candle for every corner, and an anchor for every storm. Can cancer infect your salvation? Can bankruptcy impoverish your prayers? A tornado may take your earthly house, but it will never touch our heavenly home. As we move into a time of communion, I want us to reflect on the great divorce between God and humanity in the garden. <clears throat> that great divorce is what brought sin into our lives and which is the root of our discontentment. We lost the access to God and the adequate resources that he provided to Adam and Eve. Our constant discontentment could never be quenched. The, ca the chasm between what was and what is was just too big. But the table that we are about to um, partake in together reminds us 
of what had to be done to reconcile the hearts that were coveting other things, pursuing other adulterous items. Just as Gomer, the unfaithful wife, had to be purchased, there was a price that had to be paid for us to be reunited with our bridegroom. The only way for a holy chasm to be filled was with a holy sacrifice. And when Hosea bought Gomer back with that 15 shekels of silver and bushels of barley, it wasn't just a purchase, but a redemption. And when God redeemed us, he paid the ultimate price with his blood, with his son. And like Gomer did not deserve to be redeemed, and like Israel did not deserve God's faithful, uh, uh, faithfulness in their lives, you and I don't deserve salvation. Our sin does not merit such mercy. Our wandering hearts don't. It's not because we deserve it, but it's because his mercy demands it. And some would actually say our discontentment is God's mercy in our lives to remind us of who he is.